So we get part four this morning of his story. And if you've been with us since the beginning, we talked about why we trust the Bible. We talked about the beginning of the story. We talked about the climax of the story in the life of Jesus Christ. We talked about how God created a perfect world and he walked with Adam and Eve, but sin ruined everything. And sin still is ruining everything. We saw how people were lost and hopeless and they needed a savior. And then finally, Jesus broke through the silence. God in the flesh. And Jesus showed power over his creation. He rocked the religious boat and they killed him. And then once again, Jesus shattered the silence again with his resurrection. He changed everything. And this is the story of the Bible. This is his story and his story is our story. So today, this thing that we hold in our hands called the Bible may be complete but the story is still being written. As you sit here in the room today, you are a continuation of the Bible. And if you're a Jesus follower, you are the next step in Jesus's rescue plan. You are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You are God's plan today to break through the silence in people's lives and bring a message of hope. Jesus is the sermon and you are the preacher. This is the gospel. That Christ is risen and he conquered sin and death and the grave and he can do that for our community as well. And it's what our community needs to hear. Great stories challenge us and they change us. And when a story grips our heart, it does something to us. Have you ever noticed that a child, uh, when they're watching a movie and they really, really love it, they, they don't just want to know about this character, but they want to be that character? After they watch that story they love, they want to act out that story, whether it's Buzz Lightyear or Moana or Spider-Man. We're going to see that here in a few weeks, right? They don't just want to know about the heroes. They want to be like them and act out the story. You can always tell when my daughter Chloe loves a movie because by the end of it, she won't even wait till the end of it. She will do it right in the middle. She'll go and find some type of prop to become uh, Poppy the Troll or uh, be an acrobat from The Greatest Showman. She'll find a way to be the character in costume by the end of the movie. And when we fall in love with the Bible, we will find ourselves wanting to join into the story, not just knowing more about it, but being like the hero and acting it out. We've seen the beginning of the story, the characters, God, sin, Satan, and us. We know the plot, God's great rescue plan. And last week we saw the climax of the story with Jesus' death and resurrection. But what's next in this story called the Bible? Well, after those four eyewitness accounts that we know as the gospel, these accounts of the life of Jesus, next we see the birth and infancy of the church. See, after Jesus' resurrection, he walks the earth for 40 days. He's seen of hundreds of people. But then he ascends to heaven. And he tells his followers to go into the world and to preach the gospel and make 
followers of Jesus, baptize them and teach them to follow him. But they wouldn't do it alone. See, with Jesus ascending, he left them, but the third part of the Trinity descended the Holy Spirit. And while Jesus walked beside them, the Holy Spirit walks inside us. So after the Gospels, you have a book of the Bible called the Acts of the Apostles. The word apostle simply means sent ones. These are the ones that went. This is an account written by the Gospel writer Luke, basically as part two of his book that we know as Luke, right? This gospel. So part two is Acts. And it's the story of these followers of Jesus going into the world and accomplishing the mission that Jesus left them to do, to make disciples that make disciples. And they did it over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit continued to work through the disciples, or excuse me, the apostles in the same way that Jesus worked while he was on this earth with miracles and wonders, to prove that this new thing called the church was legit. So the next section of the Bible is known uh, as the epistles. And these are letters that are written directly to church communities, real people, church leaders, teaching and discipling them to be followers of Christ. And these epistles encourage them and correct them and call them to hold fast to the faith. And these epistles still do that for us today. They still encourage us and correct us and call us to hold fast to the faith. And then lastly, the end of the book, you have Revelation. Once again, this is also sort of a sequel to one of the Gospels, which is uh, from the Gospel writer John. This is a book of prophecy and what's going to happen in the future. And you're probably tempted Uh, If you've read this book of Revelation, to have one of two responses to this book. Either one, it totally creeps you out, right? Sounds like a crazy person ranting on the corner with a sign that says the end is near. Or maybe you love the action and the imagery of dragons, a beast with seven heads, a locust with a human head and long hair and sharp teeth. That sounds more like a Harry Potter movie or something like that. But there are some things in Revelation that may be confusing to us and some imagery that we may not understand. We might not know what it all means right now, but don't let that distract you from the point of Revelation. That God is going to fix once and for all everything that sin broke. And the Savior will sit on the throne and every tongue and tribe and nation will bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what Eric Mason says about the book of Revelation. He says, eschatology, which you might have heard that word before, it simply means last things. That's the study of these last things. And what Revelation is about is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This passage, as we read this book, it's a portal, a passage into the future. John's in prison later on in his life on the Isle of Patmos, and he's alone. Many of the followers of the faith have been martyred, and an angel comes to him in a vision and takes him on a journey. It's kind of like a Christmas carol. The angel takes him through things past, through things present, through things to come, and he brings him to earth and shows him the mess and all that sin has messed up, 
And then he takes him to heaven. Earth is such a mess that the angel needs to hurry up and take John to heaven to see what things are going to be like so he won't be discouraged. And if John needed help and some perspective to understand all that was happening, how much more do we need it? See, God pulls back the curtain for John. He's older in his life, and many of the people that he uh, walked with Jesus with are now dead and gone because they gave their lives over for the faith. And I'm sure there were times where John felt depressed and felt like all the things were lost and he was alone on this island. But God pulls back the curtain to allow John to see what's happening in the background, behind the scenes. And John tries to describe it for us in his best words. But there are things that are indescribable. But John sees Christ as the victor and the hero. And he sees the villain, Satan and sin, being destroyed once and for all. And this is God's final grand act to put the universe back in order. God's presence with his people again, and no longer are the people choosing their way over God's way and bowing down to idols. No, all of heaven and earth is set right in harmony. We get a picture of that in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could ever number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Imagine what that looks like in your head right now. Every type of person that there has ever been, every language, every people, every ethnicity, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they're crying out with a loud voice. That reminds us of that Hosanna that we just sang about, right? As Jesus came into uh, Jerusalem and they waved the palm branches and they laid them down and, and cried out Hosanna. And they cry out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped him, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I love this part. One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in the white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones that are coming out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, and neither will they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, and he will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, this is the resolution that his story has been building towards. And it all happens because of the lamb. It all happens because of Jesus. A recreation back to that perfect Eden with the tree of life back in the middle of it. Symbolizing God's presence with man. This is heaven. 
And it's not a faraway place in a cloud somewhere where we play a harp and fly around with wings. No, heaven is where God is. Heaven is being in the presence of the creator and being fully known and yet fully loved by him. See, the place is not the important part. The person is. It tells us more in Revelation 21, verse 1. John says again, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, And this is awesome. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. God dwelling with us. That's how it was in Eden. And this uh, 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 series of events starts again with Jesus. They had it in the temple, but they couldn't quite get to it. And then God, Emmanuel, with us. And then once and for all, all pain is abolished. All death and sickness and tears are abolished. And we will be with him forever. No pain, no fear, no guilt, no sin. Us with God. This is heaven. And the relationship with God will be like it was at the beginning. And we will be fully known by our creator. We will know who we are and how we got here and what our purpose is. And every question that you have in your heart will be answered in him. We don't know the time when this page will turn on this final chapter. The Bible tells us that no man knows the day or the hour when God puts his final plan into action. It will happen in a twinkling of an eye, like a thief in the night. Because of this, we are left with urgency and anticipation of what happens next. Do you know what an ellipsis is? I didn't say an eclipse. An ellipsis. An ellipsis is the three dots at the end of a sentence that lets the reader know that more is coming, right? You've ever seen that before, dot, dot, dot? See, the last two verses in the Bible say this, in Revelation 22, verse 20. It says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. This is what they say back. He says, I'm coming soon. And they say, amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. You can imagine that ellipsis there, right? It's not, but you can imagine it, right? Because he says, I'm coming soon. Dot, dot, dot. This love letter from God has those uh, that left us hanging here. The story isn't over. Something else is coming. And if you have an iPhone, you're very familiar with those dots, right? 
as you wait for someone to text you back. It means there's more to come. And the conversation isn't over. And one of the things that annoys me more than anything else is when those dots pop up and then they disappear. It's like, wait a minute. But we don't have that with Christ, right? Those dots are there. They are staying. We can trust it. There's something going to come. Dot, dot, dot. We wait with anticipation of what comes next. Jesus is coming soon. And right now we're stuck in the in-between. We're between almost and not yet. The Bible tells us that Jesus will return at just the right time. And what constrains him right now is his love. He's waiting for all those that would accept him to make that choice. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But see, God's story is still being written, and it's being written through you. You are that continuation. We are that continuation of the early church. The ripples of the resurrection are still being felt today. God's story is now being written through you. This grand mission that God invites you to join into To join into what God is doing on this earth. His will being done. And what is that that's telling more and more people that God wants to have a relationship with them. And to save them from their sin. And that one day he's going to set everything right. And every wrong thing will be made new. Are you part of the story? Are you acting it out? Are you walking out the words and works of Jesus Christ? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you are plan A. There is no plan B. The next time Jesus comes back, he's going to set all things new. And until then, are you ready to be the hands and feet of Christ represented at your job and at your community and on your kid's baseball team and at your school. These people may never, ever step foot inside a church building, but you can take church to them and you can have worship and community and mission in a small group of people at the hospital that you work with, uh, at, at, at the job that you have, on your street. You can bring Jesus to them. Because the truth is, is this thing that we're doing right now is no longer cultural. 50, 60, 80 years ago, you went to church. That's what you did on Sunday. But this building doesn't make sense to a lot of people anymore. And there might even be negative associations that they have. They were hurt by someone in the church, or their parents were Christians, and they wanted nothing to do with what they had. But that's okay. Because Jesus' plan was never drag them into a building. It was always go. Go into the world. Go into the world. Go to your job and the people in your sphere of influence. Go to the street that you live on. Every member, every 
follower of Christ is a missionary. And in this next phase of our culture, none of this is going to work unless you do it. People are not going to just walk into our doors anymore because we have pretty, a pretty stained glass or they, uh, you know, a certain type of music. It's just not going to happen. The way that we can affect people for Jesus Christ is to show them the love and joy and peace. And if we don't, it's going to turn people off. And if we're judgmental and if we're argumentative, And if we're critical, and if we tear people down, and if we are selfish, that's the Jesus that they're going to see. And how you live it out in your neighborhood, in your spheres of influence, is either going to be an irresistible Jesus or a repulsive Jesus. And if I was Jesus, I would not have chosen this way to reach the world. I'd have said some angels can probably handle this. I know Phil Wayman, and he's not a very great picture of what the gospel is. So I'm going to do it a different way. But he chose you. And if we don't do it, people don't know. And at some point, the church has to take responsibility for how the culture is. Why? Because we didn't do it. I've been a part of... Uh, church since I was born. And I can get mad at what goes on in our culture and what goes on in our society. But the truth is, is there are people that I could have reached that I didn't reach. And there are pictures that I could have painted for the community of what Jesus is, but I allowed it to be tainted by my sin and my selfishness. And when we look at society, we should grieve for it. Not be angry at it. Why? Because we are the solution. To bring Christ to the culture. To bring Christ to the community. And we should grieve that more people don't know Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? We act it out. We fall in love with the story when we dive so deep into the Bible that we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like the hero. We want to act out the story, living out his will on this earth. Replace evil with righteousness and run towards the darkness and returning love for hate and bringing peace where there is no peace, all the while pointing not to ourselves, but to the saving power of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sermon, and you are the preacher, and that's why the Bible tells us, how can they hear without a preacher? You're the voice. Your sphere of influence needs this hope, and there are hopeless people out there that want to have hope, and they ache for that, to have that emptiness filled inside of them, but we're so caught up in all these silly things, in these material things, And making sure our opinion gets pushed and our preference. Or we're distracted by climbing the ladder. Or finding happiness in everything else than our creator. But what if we fell in love with the story? 
And we worked so hard to become like that hero. And then we went. And we felt responsibility for the people on our mission field called Arbutus Park or wherever your street is. We felt responsibility for the people at UHC because I'm the missionary there. We felt responsibility for the people at the FBI or at Nutter Ford Elementary or wherever you work and wherever you live. God has placed you there to be the missionary. But we're scared, right? We don't want to offend people. You know, sometimes my kids get offended when I tell them they can't have something that's not good for them. They don't like that. And I don't do it. I don't jump down their throat, right, and, and ream them out and tell them. I explain in love why. And if we explained in love why we have this hope in Jesus Christ, and we acted it out, and we showed them who Jesus was. See, this means as followers of Jesus, we ought to be on the front of every single opportunity to turn society away from evil. We should be leading the charge against child trafficking, the global water crisis. We should be leading the charge against racism. We should be vocal about the preciousness of all life from conception to the elderly, American, Mexican, Haitian, Afghan, because all people are made in the image of God. And Jesus came for the world. We should be giving generously of our time and talents and treasures to further the kingdom of God. And thinking of others more and ourselves less. We don't do these things to show how virtuous we are. Or to make ourselves feel better about the guilt that we carry. But rather always to point towards Christ. And he's the hero. And he's the reason. And he's the only hope that there is. We love and serve him because he first loved and served us. Great stories challenge us, and they change us. And when we fall in love with the Bible, we will find ourselves wanting to join into the story, not just knowing more about it. And sometimes that's where we get stuck. We can be great Bible scholars, but until we start becoming like the hero and acting it out, then there's a disconnect between the intellect and our actions. I could be the greatest, most knowledgeable person about health, but when you watch me drink a Diet Coke and eat a Big Mac, it doesn't matter. And that's where we're at. We don't act it out. And sometimes the more we know about the Bible, what happens is we become proud and we think we know better than everybody else and, and really we're missing the love and joy and peace and, and what we're supposed to do. But what if we... Went back to that childlike faith. We wanted to be like Jesus. We wanted to be like the hero. Just like that child dressed up as Superman. 
See, what we fill our mind with changes us. Repetition creates neural pathways. And if you're constantly bombarded with lies, you begin to believe the lies. And we must bombard our hearts with God's truth from his word so that we will fall in love with the story and we will live it out. So that means you might need to pick up your Bible every day. It means you might need to just slow down when you read it. That you, so much that you actually get something from it and you allow it to change you. Maybe you decide, man, I've been checking a box off about reading a chapter for 20 years and I don't know that I've got anything from it. I don't know that I've changed. Maybe what you need to do is you need to read one verse 10 times and then take that actionable truth into the world, pushing the truth of God deep into your heart. Maybe it's reading a Bible study or or a book along with your Bible. I don't know what it is, but you've got to fall in love with the story. And it's an easy story to fall in love with. Yeah, it might not have a cinematic background and it might not be so easy to understand that we can sit down and and watch it on a television screen. But if we'll allow ourselves to see this overarching story, then we'll begin to see where everything fits in. And there are some things that we'll be like, man, that's weird. I don't know about that. But we say, hey, look, the overarching story, I believe, and, and I'll believe that part because I trust God. And we begin live it out. Sin broke everything, but God made a way for us to dwell in his presence again and to be constantly aware of who made us, who we are, and what our purpose is. And it all starts and ends with our Father God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the hero of the story. And one day, have faith, have hope that he's going to make all things new. And when you get depressed, and when you get distracted, and when you look at the world and say, man, it's, it's going to hell in a handbasket, don't forget that he's going to make it new. And to have faith, and that we do have hope. We have this love letter from him. And it's been passed through thousands of years to get into your hand. And to get into your pocket in that folder that you have in the back of your phone. This story is his story. And it means so much to us that it's our story. And we take it for granted. Maybe you haven't ever really loved God's word and you haven't consistently read it enough to bring understanding. Or maybe you haven't spent time meditating on the truth of God's word enough to feel it in your heart. The challenge for you today is to start, to jump in, to systematically and uh, uh, habitually pour your heart into God's word. Not out of guilt, but out of joy because it's so amazing. Brody Jesper says this, we don't just read the Bible to know the Bible. We read it to know God. Maybe you used to love your time with God. But maybe it's gotten stale. Do whatever you can. Get desperate about mixing it up. 
Maybe you need to spend more time, or maybe you need to take a walk with Jesus, or maybe you need to think on his word, prepare your heart differently with a song or something. Just do what you have to do, but don't skip the step of taking those truths and deciding that you're going to act it out rather than just read it. Fight the lies in your heart with the truth habitually and repeatedly until you believe that truth. Clarksburg Baptist Church, Jesus is coming soon. We can trust his word. Fall in love with this story. Read his story. And then say yes to joining in on that story. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. You might say to yourself, well, Pastor Phil, that was a four-week series on reading the Bible. And yeah, that's part of it. But it's not about checking some box on a list of things to do. It's about going back to the amazing gospel that you loved at one point. And that's what it was about at one point for you. If you're a follower of Jesus... And if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, there was a day, there was a moment where the gospel filled your heart and you loved Jesus so much and you saw your sin and you knew that you didn't deserve to be saved, but that Jesus Christ gave you that gift anyway. That's where we're supposed to live all the time. Constant gratitude and calling ourselves into a deeper love. And every time something's distracted us and become an idol in our lives, whether it's what we do, whether that idol is a person, whether that idol is a hobby, and that's the thing that controls our happiness. And we sacrifice that thing to Jesus Christ and we say, You're better. Jesus Christ, you're better. This world is desperate. And we have a responsibility. And the church ought to take some blame. Because we've been content to say, come. Instead of remembering the beginning command was go. We've been content to pay staff members to grow the church instead of doing how the Bible says. We're all supposed to go as missionaries into our community. It doesn't work anymore. The way we used to do it doesn't work anymore. Culture has changed. But what does work is what worked at the beginning. You deciding that you live on mission fields and that you have influence and that you need to walk out the gospel in front of those people and pray for them and call them into relationship with him and talk about how amazing Jesus is and thank him for all that you've done 
Every single one of us is a missionary. We need to act out this story, his story. Why don't you take some time to ask God to dive and to to hammer this truth deep into your heart. Past the fear, past the self-consciousness, past the selfishness. I am a missionary to my street, to my job, to my friends. And I need to tell this story because I'm plan A, there is no plan B. And the church is where they equip us to do the ministry. And then we're sent into the mission field. God, I pray over every single one of these missionaries. God, if we could fall in love with this story and take this hope to our community, we could change things. We could turn this community upside down. God, help us to feel that call right now to go into the world and preach the gospel. Jesus, you're the sermon, and we are the preachers. God, help me as I go out in my spheres of influence, God. Help me to be a better witness. Help me to love people. Be patient. Help me to let go of those quirks in my personality that don't line up with the gospel. God, we love you, and I'm, I'm so excited to see what you're going to do. God, drive these truths into our heart. Maybe you're here today, and you might not be sure that, that you are a Christian or a Jesus follower. You might believe in God, and maybe you like church and enjoy it. But you can't say that there's been a time and a place where you decided that you were going to put all your faith and all your eggs in the basket of Jesus on the cross. And the fact that he gave us the gift of the gospel. So the Bible tells us that we have a problem, and that problem is sin. It tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is in the same boat. We're sinners. Your sin might look different than mine, but it's all sin. And because we have that sin, it stands between us and a holy God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What we earn for our sin is separation from God forever in a place called hell. And that's scary. And you have a choice right now. You can pay the wages of your sin. Or you can let Jesus pay the price. See, Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. An innocent person died for all of us guilty people. 
Jesus saw the debt that we owe and the wages that we owe for our sin, and he said, I'll cover the cost if you want me to. If you'll put your faith in me, I will pay that price. You simply have to accept it. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved in Romans 10, 13. Your sin is a sickness. You're drowning in that sin and there is no hope. But Jesus says, call out to me and I will rescue you. You can do that right now, once and for all. It's not a magic prayer. Words aren't important. You can stumble through it, but your heart is genuine. And you could call out today, right now, for that help. You could pray, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. turning from my sin and I'm turning to you I put my faith on what you did on the cross it's the only way to get to you the only way to be saved he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's you today you continue in this attitude of prayer we're going to sing in just one second you continue to deal with God but I'd love for you when you hand in that connection card or when you leave and jump on Facebook or you want to email me my email address is on the website I'd love to know about that decision because that's a huge deal that's the biggest decision you're ever going to make changing your eternal destination forever Please let me know some way that you made that choice so I can tell you what happens next.